0: Amen. I want to talk to you about bind and bring them. Uh, James attended a small conservative, mostly white church in the south. Following a pain in his side one day, the doctors told him he would need surgery immediately the next morning. Uh, And so one of the first things he did was talk to his Bible study, his small group, and ask them to pray for him. The next day James was admitted and the surgery didn't go as they planned and recovery was going to take a lot longer. He in fact he'd end up being there about a week or so. Yet despite that, not one of James's small group members called to check in or even visit him. It wasn't that they didn't care, as they just got too busy with work and all their kids' activities from sports and dance and, and the like, and they simply just Forgot a few of them even thought maybe the probably the pastor would would visit James but when the pastor found out it was a day later and and little did they know that he was so overwhelmed with his to-do list nearing burnout after all only about 15% of the church members even served once a month and even less 6% or so tithed on a regular basis And the list kept getting longer and longer. In fact, most of the church didn't even know James. After all, they only came about one time a month on a Sunday morning and failed to have any meaningful relationships with anyone outside of the morning service. Yet one woman did visit James that week. Her name was Nadia. She was from James's work, and she noticed that he was missing. Now, Nadia was different from James in every single way. In fact, they often offended one another. She was a liberal, a black Muslim woman. She was outspokenly pro-choice. She was anti-gun. She was pro-amnesty and engaged to another woman. Yet that week, she visited James every single day after work. She brought him puzzles and snacks and even used her day off to cover for James so he wouldn't be absent and fall behind. James was blown away by Nadia's compassion because that week it was Nadia who showed James Jesus. There is a uh, a term in psychology we use it's called the bystander effect. It's the thought that when we're in a crowded situation you see this on the news sometimes there'll be a, a person dying on the street and all these people in New York City are just passing by no one stops. The, the study basically says that when we're in a large group, the larger the group we are, the, the more responsibility is diffused uh, among the members and people begin to look to one another and they think, well, somebody will stop or somebody will act. Or surely, maybe they know something I don't. Maybe that guy over there has got this going on, and maybe I don't want to get involved in that. Or maybe it's not my responsibility, it's somebody else's responsibility. And this is a social phenomenon that you see it all over the news all the time, where you think, well, why in the world did not, didn't somebody you know help that woman who was broke down on the side of the road or that homeless person who was there? Uh, there's been stories of people who have died on the subways in New York City, and they just are on the subway all night, just and no one even checks on them. It's called the Bystander effect. And I think that that happens just as much in the local church in America today as it does in the secular world. People naturally think it's not my responsibility, or I, I don't want to get involved, or everyone is waiting for someone to do something. Everyone often waits for someone to do something. You probably have this at your work. There's some kind of piece of trash or something's left out in your break room. And, and every day, that, maybe it's that microwave that's dirty. And you know somebody is going to clean that thing, and they just keep putting their food in it. One day, it's probably you, and you say, well, you know what? Finally, nobody's done with this, and I'm going to do this, right? How many people know what I'm talking about? Everybody waits for somebody to do something, in the church, it can be this. You know, that's what we pay the pastors for. Or other people will volunteer. They probably have enough, or they've got plenty of help. Or maybe, you know, I'm not qualified uh, to do that or to do anything. I'm, I'm kind of too busy, but maybe one day uh, I'll get involved. Or they go to church, and, or, you know, or they could go to church if they wanted to go to church. How many people are you Called to help. Think about this this morning. How many people are you called to help? How many people are you called to help? What if your action today and tomorrow could be the catalyst for other people to jump on board and begin to change? Look with me this morning in Luke chapter 10 verse 25. But as you're there, I want you to repeat after me and say this. I am, I am responsible, responsible to bind every broken, every broken soul I pass and bring them to Jesus. Let's say it one more time. I am, I am responsible, responsible to bind every broken soul, every broken soul I pass and bring them to Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm reading the New American Standard this morning. Jesus said, uh, this. Uh, uh, let's look at the verse 25. Sorry, let's go up a little bit. It says, A lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he was quoting Leviticus 19. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But wishing to justify himself, note that, he was putting Jesus to the test, wanting to see if Jesus had the answers. And Jesus says, well, how does it really interpret to you? What do you think the Bible says? And he says, well, it's love God with everything, love people with everything. But to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said this. And here's his story. A man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers. They stripped him and they beat him and he went away and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, look at that divine providence, a priest was going down that same road And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. Now, a Levite was a minister in the temple, kind of what we would talk about a deacon today. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and had bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast, that is a donkey. And he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy towards him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. The question by the religious man was, who am I responsible for? And what his heart was really asking is, what is the least I have to do to go to heaven? What's the least amount of people I have to love in order to make heaven and not go to hell? Jesus, what's the minimum level of love you require? Who is my neighbor? Now, if you get the background of this... Samaritans were called dogs and devils by Israelites. They were the half Jews. They had mixed uh, Judaism with pagan ideals. In fact, they had written their own Bible, their own Old Testament, made their own temple worship, had their own priesthood, and basically just muddled up the whole thing altogether and were really blatantly idolatrous. We could look at it today. If you're a Christian, you find things that are Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, things that you would see on the news and somebody would say, well, they're a Christian, but you probably and I know better that that is not exactly the same as what true Christianity is. There are things that are muddled. It's half-truth, okay? And they were like this, and there was not only that, but it was racial discrimination going on. These people, if you saw a Samaritan, you would probably pass on the other side of the street because you would think he was going to rob you. And so Jesus flips it on the head. And, and if you were an Israelite in those days, you would know the commandment said this. It said, if you even saw your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's donkey injured on the side of the road, you as an Israelite were responsible to help out even your neighbor's donkey. So how much more would you supposed to help your neighbor? So Jesus says there's these two Jewish guys, very religious guys, pass by another Jew and not only do they help, not help his donkey or his ox, they don't even help him. They even look at him and pass on the other side of the road. But a man, a devil of a man, a, a pagan of a man, had compassion when his own fellow countrymen did not. This story would have been scandalous in that day. It would have been scandalous. It actually would have maybe even formed a riot. But the question is same for you and I today. Who is your neighbor? Who is your fellow man? For us today, like I read in the first story, it is very much your neighbor may be conservative or liberal. Your neighbor may be white or black. Your neighbor may be gay or straight. They may be a native or an illegal. They may be Muslim. They may be Christian. They may be a baby boomer and they may be a millennial. But James 2 says this. That you can have religion and say you love people, but suppose you see one of these so-called neighbors who's hungry and without clothing, and you say, have a nice day, and you go on about your life and your business, what good, James says, is that to them? What good is that? He says that your faith then is useless if it doesn't produce something. That means in this context, if I want to have eternal life, Heath Harris, I must love Muslims. I must love gays. I must love black people. I must love Hispanic people. I must love Chinese people. I must love old people. I must love young people. I must love illegals and legals. I must love people on welfare. And I must love people who are filthy rich. Because He says, Who is your neighbor? Racism, bigotry, classism, divisive politics have no place in God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again because that was pretty good. (laughs) Racism, bigotry, classism, and divisive politics have no place in God's kingdom. That means I don't get up on Facebook and post about all these people who are my neighbors. That means I don't talk in the break room about all those people who are my neighbors. That means I don't divide my family about all these issues that are man's issues. Because according to the word, there's only two types of people. There are lost people and found people, blind people and seeing people, sons of God and sons of the devil. Everything else is black and white. It is God's kids and not God's kids. Everyone has a potential to be God's kids. That means that God so loved the world, he died for black people and white people He died for Muslim and Christian. He died for gay and straight. He died for old and young. He died for illegals and legals. God so loved the world, he died for his enemies. For people who are you and me, that while we were still sinning against him, Jesus Christ died. For who am I to not love someone he's died for? quiet in here today. So let's ask myself, how much of my Christianity is talk and how much of it is action? What religious excuse do I use to justify my level of love? I could say things like, oh, you know, I attend church this week. I paid my tithes. I, you know, I served once or sometimes. I did my part. And some Christians today in America don't even do that. Some today would say, well, you know, well, someone else will volunteer, someone else will give, someone else will go. Let me ask you this though. What's the point of all of our church going if we'll not be the church that's going? What's the point of all of our church going if we'll not be a church? that's going, that's loving the loss that Jesus Christ died for. And I say this often uh, in our leadership and, uh, and even in our churches, that I should have no opinion that's louder than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to have any political opinion that will keep me from reaching a Democrat, a liberal, a gay, a straight, an illegal. I don't want anything on my Facebook or in my conversation network to prevent me from being able to love someone into the kingdom of God. We live in a day where so much of politics and Christianity seem to be muddled. I'm just going to hit the nail on the head this morning. God has called us to all types of people. And heaven forbid, Lord forbid, that I have something in my life, some hidden racism, some hidden political agenda, some anything in my heart that would keep me from loving someone like Jesus did when he died for them. Who am I responsible for and how many people am I called to help? And the answer is this. I am responsible for every broken soul I pass by to bring them to Jesus. I'm responsible for every single person on that road that I see is broken and hurting and without a hope in this world. And I'm responsible to stop what I'm doing, bind their wounds, and bring them to Jesus How do I do that? Let's talk about binding and bringing. You know, if I can look at the world today and I can see, well man, people pass by people that are on the streets that are hurting and people are going to the subways and that's just the natural thing that we often as as people, we'll see a homeless person and we'll just make that excuse off the head. Well, he's probably going to use it for alcohol. Or we'll see someone in need and we'll think, well, they probably got a family. Somebody else knows they got a family issue. They're going on. If they would just get their act together, then they could live right. You know, if they could just stop doing those bad behaviors, they they would be better off. And that's all probably true. But as much as we pass people in the physical needs I think more often what I'll focus on this morning is how much we pass by people in the spiritual and the spiritual needs that they have before God. For instance, how much more do we know, ignore those who are dying spiritually? All around us every day we pass them by at work, on the way to the grocery store, the post office, coming home. Maybe it's even our neighbors. Maybe it's even in our own family. People who are dying in their sins without hope. We pass them by every day and we maybe never say a single word, never offer them healing or hope, and we never bring them to Jesus. For instance, let me give you seven quick things through this story, seven stages of this story. The first one is there was a thief. There was a thief. This road, uh, in Jer- there was a road from Jerusalem, which is up on a hill down to Jericho. It was about an 18-mile road. It was often called the Bloody Way. Wouldn't that be a great highway to drive on? (laughs) We got Route 66, this would be the Bloody Way. Uh, Let's take another route, honey. You know, let's not go the Bloody Way. The Bloody Way was was a road that was very uh, narrow, winding. It it was in a desert, in the Judean desert. It's the place where Jesus went off to pray, you know, and the devil tempted him, if that tells you anything. Uh, And it was the access point. And often a lot of religious people who served in the temple lived in Jericho. Very popular trade route. Okay. And so thieves would often take advantage of the caves that were on that road. And if people were passing by, they could jump out of the caves, get their stuff and go back in and hide again. Nobody would ever find them. And Jesus would have picked this on, ver- on purpose. They would have known exactly the road uh, that he was going to. And these robbers were taking advantage, listen to me, of people who were trying to get to the city of God. It was either people coming from the city of God or people going to the city of God. Let me tell you something. On this road of life, it is a dangerous, windy, ravenous journey. And we are trying to get to the city called Zion, our heavenly home. But there is an adversary. The Bible says he is like a thief. And what do thieves like to do? They like to kill, steal, and destroy. Even Peter says that this devil, this thief, is like a roaring lion. He's prowling around, hoping to pounce on someone to devour them. And if you and I are along this road, no doubt every single place you go, you can't go to Walmart without seeing someone who's been attacked by the devil. You probably can't even go into your family, into your homes and not know that someone has been preyed on. Someone has been taken advantage of. They've maybe uh, put themselves in that position, you'd say. Maybe they shouldn't have been on that road to begin with. But needless to say, they're hurt. They're broken. They're injured. And without a hope, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make that heavenly home. They're stuck in between this life and the next life, and if they would die today, if they would die today, they would spend eternity in a devil's hell. And every day we pass them by, those who've been attacked by this thief. You and I cannot make this road alone, and nor can anyone else, without the protection of our Lord and help from fellow believers, we're all certain to perish. I tell you, there's a song that says, no man has an island. That's true. Church, you need each other. We need each other. We need God's protection. We need each other. Well, there was a thief on the road, but there's also some religious people. These guys, one was a priest. It's kind of like one of those jokes. Three people go into a bar. One's a priest, one's a Levite, one's a Samaritan. That's kind of how I see this story. I would Jesus would tell it today, right? But on this place, there was this priest. He had just left temple worship, ministering the Lord, the sacraments, and doing all this stuff, experienced the presence of God, and as soon as he leaves the city, he starts his journey. And halfway along the way, he sees a man. What does he do? I don't think I want any of that. If I stop, what if the robber gets me? Maybe it's a trick. Maybe he's part of the team. There's all kinds of excuses we could say. I pass people all the time. And we go through the like. Well, you know, it's really not the right time right now to talk to them about the Lord. Uh, they probably already go to church somewhere else. We're at the West Restaurant somewhere. I don't Maybe it's just not the right time. Let me just let's just go along. That person, you can see inside of them, they're hurting, they're broken. Uh, I'm just not comfortable right now. We just left church Sunday morning, right? Uh, there's the deacon, the Levite. He, he goes and say he actually looks at the guy, it says. He saw him, walked up to him. I wonder if he's, yeah, he's, yeah, okay. Let's uh, keep on going. Honey, get the kids. Let's move it faster. There might be some, again, we could look and say, how could these people just have come from worshiping the Lord? And not even helped one of their own. And how much more do you and do I pass by every single person on Monday morning. Having experienced God on Sunday. Not say a word about Jesus. Not pray with someone who's in need. And know that if Jesus was coming back. And if I believe it. And if he was coming back today. That person. I would have passed by at work, passed by my neighbor, passed by at the grocery store, and they would not have a hope. Jesus said of that generation, He said, These people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. There was a thief, the religious, and there was the compassionate. Despite all the religion, the Jews had been blind, and they were selfish, even in their religianity, their churchianity. Yet the Samaritan was the one who saw. He had empathy because you know why? He was an outcast. He was forsaken. He knew what it felt like. And the Bible says that Jesus, he too, was despised and forsaken among men. That surely our griefs and our sorrows he bore. That that we esteemed him stricken, smitten, like he deserved it. And yet he took it on himself. You see, Jesus, when he came in that generation, he looked. The Bible says he looked and he saw the masses, the crowds, and it says that he wept. He had compassion over them because he saw them as lost sheep without a shepherd. And he says, surely the harvest is great. Church, won't you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll get a hold of some hearts and send people to my people? My heart breaks for them. I see them alone on the road, lost without anyone to guide them. No one to speak life into them. No one to stand in the gap for them. No one to pray for them to bind their wounds and bring them back home to me. Won't you pray that God gets a hold of somebody's heart to stand in the gap for a generation? Because Jesus was forsaken. The Bible says that he is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are contrite in spirit. He'd even say in Hosea that he desires mercy before sacrifice. You see, all of our church going, all of our doing, all of our going to church and paying our tithes and acting the Christian part and voting the right way and posting on Facebook the right way and wearing the t shirts is nothing if we pass by people every Monday, every Tuesday. Every Wednesday, and we never speak Jesus. What did he do? Let me give you these things. He number one, if you're out in the world today, I want you to take pause and look with compassion for the broken. This man, he number one, he looked with compassion. You find someone today, tomorrow, stop and listen to their story. Find out how they got there, what's going on in their life. That's the first thing you can do today is look with compassion for the broken. Number two is this, give the word and the spirit. This man, he bound his wounds. He used wine to clean the wound. He used oil to soothe it. That was kind of the the cocktail back then. They didn't have antibiotics like we do today. and, And first aid kit, he would use that wine. It would cleanse out. The alcohol would cleanse out any infection. And the oil, the olive oil would soothe that wound. Uh, and the Bible says that Jesus himself is the new wine, that he is the one who's bringing all, making all things new. He's one, and by his blood, it cleanses us of all sin. And it says that he brought the joy of the Lord, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, that beauty for ashes came because of Jesus Christ, that he was anointed of God. To bring hope to the broken and the hurting, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord's goodness, of His grace, that He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So when I encounter someone in the world today, it is not me that can heal them, it is not me that can bind them. But if number one, I will stop and look with compassion and know that because Jesus was rejected, that person who is rejected deserves, number two, to be bound with His good news. To hear the soothing words of the Holy Spirit come from your life into them. To hear that healing, cleansing word of the Word of God that will cause them to change their ways, to see the error the that needs to be cleansed out of them, and then to be soothed by the grace of God. So number one, when you're out in the world this week, number one, look with compassion for the broken. Number two, give the Word and the Spirit. Share what Jesus did and what Jesus can do with them. Some people are just looking for a good word. Do they have hope in their life? Give them Jesus. Give them a good word. Number two, number three, teach them to rest on him. One, the fifth thing that he did was carry them. He saw him, he bound him, then he carried him. The, man, the Samaritan man put this Jew on his own donkey, which is called the beast of burden. And he walked him to the nearest, and there was an inn, they think historians, about halfway between the two destinations. And he, this man was not only inconvenienced, but he risked his own life, and then he had to do the work to walk there. He got off of his, of his own donkey, put the man on the donkey, and he had to walk there. I thought about this, this week where the Bible says that Jesus is the beast of burden, That he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And it's that moment where what we do when we encounter someone in the world, not only do we see them with compassion and know that because Jesus was rejected, and if they're rejected, they deserve Jesus, that Jesus died for them. Number two, that it's that, that I have to give them the soothing, cleansing word of life. And number three, that I teach them and I encourage them and I help them get lifted up to be upon Jesus' shoulder. That means I take them to the place of the cross and I say, hey, I can't bear your sin, but I know one who can. This is the beast of burden. Lay your life and trust upon Him. Lay all your cares upon Him. Come to the cross where He can carry you all the way into your eternal home. He can take you into the presence of God. His shoulders are broader than mine. He's tougher than me. He Nobody can carry people like Jesus can carry people. Won't you let me take you to Him and I'll help lift you up. I'll encourage you to get to the cross. I'll cheer you on. I'll, I'll help you get there. Won't you come to church with me? Won't you trust Jesus with your life? He carried Him. Teach somebody to rest their life on Jesus. Help them to surrender all their efforts and trust in his work. Next is this. Pray with them to encounter the Holy Spirit. This man, this Samaritan, took this man out of the elements to a proper place to be restored. And he entrusted him to an innkeeper. That innkeeper was better suited for his healing. And I think about Jesus, the great physician, who makes this church a Holy Spirit hospital for the broken. And this man puts him upon the beast of burden. The beast of burden takes him to a place where he can get the help he really needs. I think about bringing people into the church. I think about... Jesus is the one who's going to heal them. I can't heal anybody, but I can bring them to Jesus. I can entrust their life to Jesus. Every person I come in contact with, I can say, Jesus, won't you care for this person? Jesus, I'm giving you this person. Jesus, I'm praying for this person that you'll soothe them, that you'll heal them, you'll restore them, you'll provide for them. And I'm going to encourage them, find your needs in Jesus. Find everything is met in him, not in me, not in this church service, not in this program. But you can find all that you need for healing and hope in him. There's not one single verse that tells us to invite people to a church service. Jesus said that my house is a house of prayer for the nations. It is a group of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that is on the healing side. It's the Holy Spirit. And when the church is anywhere, anybody who needs Jesus finds Jesus. It's the moment where the Holy Spirit becomes between two people and it binds them together and fills them. And so the one thing that we can pray for someone is saying, won't you receive the Holy Spirit? And that's how you'll enter into the church. See, coming and bringing them to a, a service with music and a, and a special speaker, that's not coming to church. That's a song, sometimes a dance, you know, and then someone's speaking, right? I don't know what denomination you're part of. But church is where the Holy Spirit enters into the hearts of man. And that's the goal. As I've seen them, I bind them, I place them upon Jesus, I entrust them. Jesus said no one is born, no one is going to make it unless they're born of water and the Spirit. They'll never enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to see that person, and not only am going to take notice of them and bind their wounds with a good word from Jesus and trust them to le- encourage them to trust all their life upon the beast of burden, Jesus Christ. Not only am I going to take them into the presence of God, I want to say, would you receive, I'm going to pray for you that God comes in your life, that the Holy Spirit will enter your heart, and then you'll be a part of this thing we call the church. I'm going to entrust their life to Jesus. And the last is this. He invested in them. That Samaritan was willing to pay two days' wages, two denarii, which is two days, so if you made $30,000 a year, remember, it's one whole day of your work. That would have been equal to about two weeks of staying in a hotel, all right? So this man put up two weeks of a hotel stay from his own pocket. No doubt he was headed somewhere. He had things to do. This man was a Jew. He would have hated him. He would have walked the other street. He would have thought he was going to get robbed by the Samaritan. But This Samaritan stopped what he did risked his own life, got off of his donkey, took the walk backwards, entrusted him to the innkeeper and said, I'm going to pay two weeks worth of stay. And even beyond that, put it on my tab. You see, along this journey of life, I cannot just bring people to church and say, here you go, pastor. Good luck. I brought you my dysfunctional family. I hope you can do more than I can in 30 years. Right? You got one week. You know, we we, we bring them to kids. Okay, pastor Christian youth, man, Here's our youth. Go get them. They're yours. Good luck. Miss Shannon, our kids director. Here, Miss Shannon. Here's these kids. Good luck. Even though we don't go to nightly devotionals, I hope that you can fit in a whole week's worth of Christianity in one Sunday morning service, enough to get them out of hell. Woo! Hey, we got these big outreaches. You know, the pastors can do that. Other uh, leadership team can do that. Sunday school teachers, they got it taken care of. I'm just going to come 1.5 times a month. I'll pay my tithes when I remember after the payday that I haven't spent on something else. Who's my neighbor? You see, when you invest in someone, you care about their outcome. When you invest in that ball team, you care if they win. When you invest in that young girl to go to dance, you care if they perform well. When you invest in people to know Jesus, you care if they make their heavenly home. See, this young man, this Samaritan, came back. He was interested if this guy had gotten better. You know what I think? If he did get better, I think he would have walked the rest of the way to Jerusalem with him. You see, there are going to be people in your life that God's going to put there by divine appointment like this priest. He had, it says, "By, by some chance, a priest came by. What if God this week is putting people in your path? This month. He's going to ask you. How many people are you responsible for? Who will you invest in? Not just bring them to church, but say, you know what? I'm going to walk with you every step of the way until we reach our heavenly destination. I'm going to invest in your life. I'm going to encourage you in your marriage. I'm going to stand with you in those surgeries. I'm going to pray for your kids. I'm going to go to those birthday parties with you. I'm going I'm to cheer your kids on at ball practice. I'm going to be with you, man, because we need each other on this road. It's a dangerous road that we have to make to get to our heavenly home. And you and I need somebody walking with us along the way saying, you know what, you can do it. Go, boy, go. I've got your back. I'm with you. And not a generation of churchgoers who come and go as they please and never form any meaningful relationship with anybody across the aisle. Lord, help us to be the church that's for the hurting and the broken. And say, Lord, if you can use anybody, you can use me. God, I'm here. Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. God, I want to be that person. I want to be like that Samaritan man. I want to be showing Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? I am responsible to bind every broken soul I pass and bring them to Jesus. My neighbor is anybody who needs a neighbor. And who needs a neighbor more than those that are dying and on their way to hell? Who needs a neighbor more than those who are dying And on their way to hell Will I stand idly by Will I pass to the other side While other people volunteer While other people give While other people invest Or will I say You know what I see them with compassion Because Jesus was despised and rejected I'm for the rejected Because Jesus bore their burden I'm going to help gift them to Jesus Jesus died for their sin I'm going to die along with him My neighbor is anybody I see who needs a neighbor. I'm responsible for every person I pass who needs hope in Christ. Who am I responsible for? Father, today I pray over this congregation in Jesus' name. Lord, that we'd be a church without walls, God without borders, without boundaries. God, we're not a a political party. God, we're not anything but the church of Jesus Christ, bought with your precious blood, filled with your Holy Spirit. God, man's kingdom is divided. It's filled with hate. It's filled with division. They divide over everything imaginable. But God, you've called us to be united together in in the work of the gospel. You say, go. And make disciples of all nations, of all races, of all political parties, of all affiliations, of all people groups. And every single person we see along the way, may we show the love of Jesus Christ, who bled and died for a lost world. God, give us compassion. Give us empathy. Give us the willingness to sacrifice, to get skin on in the game, Lord not sit idly by when we watch a world going to hell.